Okay, now be ready to put in Ezekiel 44, and we're going to go from verse 10, excuse me, yes, verse 10 to verse 19. 10 to 19. Ezekiel 44, 44, from 10 to 19. Every, I don't know why. This, every time I think of something like 44, I think of when I used to shoot dice. If you know anything about, and this is the name of the game, craps. It's not a nasty word. It's just maybe because it's a horrible game to play. But in dice, you, 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 if you roll a 7 or 11, the first roll you win. If you don't, you get a point, and you have to make that point before you make before you roll a seven. And if your point is eight, you 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 have these little clever things to say, and you shake the dice, and you say, "What killed Jesse James? What killed Jesse James? Forty-four. Ah, yep. You want to get an eight, but kill Jesse James. You get a nine." You say, what killed Billy the Kid? 45. (laughs) Yeah. All right, I won't tell you what the other ones are. Okie dokie, hallelujah, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for this time together. Lord, speak to our hearts, penetrate our hearts with your word and uh, change us, O Lord. As we behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And may that change us from glory to glory. Uh, May we be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. uh, This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And uh, we've been talking about the love of God, and we've been talking about loving God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, strength, being, soul, which is made up of your intellect, your uh, will, and your emotions, everything you've got, everything you've got. And so we've gone over the romantic love of loving God in that aspect by going over the Song of Solomon, which is a romantic love. And the bridegroom and the bride. And of course the bridegroom, who's the bridegroom? Jesus. In the Song of Solomon, it is the bridegroom king. But we know who the king is, is Jesus. Who's the bride? We are the church. That's right, the church. And so that was the romantic love. We talked about loving God with our will. You know, it's a choice. We choose to love him. Um, because he commands us to. But uh, and that's another way that we love him, by serving him and obeying him. If you love me, what is, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. And so this is going to be an aspect of, of, we talked about loving God in the priesthood, because we are a royal priesthood. Say, I am Esther. 
Why Esther? Why Esther? Why'd you say that? Oh, I told you to. I am Esther. All right. How are we Esther? How am I Esther? Because Esther was dressed in royal uh, garments. They were in the in the New Testament where it says a royal priesthood. The word royal is means kingly. So she was dressed in kingly garments because she was going to go before the king. So like Esther, we are dressed in kingly garments, royal apparel. We are dressed in royal robes of righteousness, like Esther. Unlike Esther, say, I am not Esther. Unlike Esther, Esther had to wait for the scepter of the king to be uh, put put forth towards her, extended to her, in order to go before. If it wasn't, the most likely she was going to be dead. You don't go before the king unless you're invited. And so if he sees you, you've kind of already started to invite yourself. So if they extend the scepter, then you come before the king. Exerces was the king. Ahasuerus was the king. It's two, two different names, same guy. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw or even know the story of the 300, which is, as far as I know, is a true story. Uh, have you ever studied Greek history and know about the 300? They were the, the 300 were uh, the guards of um, the Greek general that because Xerxes was attacking Greece on a, Xerxes was a Persian king, was attacking at Greece on a Greek holiday, they wouldn't fight on their holiday. So uh, this uh, general, and I normally can think of his name, but some of you who know history, um, took his royal guard, which was 300 Greek or Parthians or uh, Spartans, because he was a Spartan, and to, to hold them off at the pass, so to speak. And, and they did, until the holiday was over, and then Athens sent help. But he, it was called, and the, the, the story is called the 300. And they fought until the, to, to the very end, and they held off thousands of, and killed thousands because Spartans were pretty tough customers. But that was, that was Xerxes. That was the same king that, he was a, he was a bad hombre. One time a, a very wealthy man in Persia, uh, said he had lost all his sons in the in wars, and he asked if he could keep his youngest son. And uh, Xerxes had his youngest son cut in half, and then spread in two pieces, and had all of his army march between them. It says nobody is is excused from serving. This was a bad person. A very mean person. 
And if he doesn't extend that scepter to her, she's dead. Well, see, unlike Esther, we have a good, a beautiful king. And his scepter has already been extended to us, according to Hebrews, the first chapter. It says, it says it's, it's like uh, uh, Jeff Staples wrote a tune to the, the verse of scripture that it comes from in the Psalms. And it says, uh, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is the right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. It's talking about Jesus being the king. And he, Jeff Staples, wrote up a little tune. It says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thy throne, O God, the scepter of thy kingdom is the right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Thy throne, O God. And that's, thy throne is forever. And the scepter of thy kingdom has been extended to us already through Christ. So we have an audience into the presence of the king. Is that that's something to get shouting about? Amen. All right. Well, a royal priesthood. It says we're a kingdom of priests in another place. We are a kingdom of priests. And we talked about being priest unto God. Now, this is talking about in this scripture, priest unto God. In the Old Testament, which are the Levites, or that comes from the tribe of Levi. And so this is what Ezekiel is saying, after the children of Israel are released from captivity to go back to Israel. And so this is what it says, starting with verse 10. And the Levites that are gone uh, gone away far from me, when Israel went astray, which went astray away from me after their idols, they shall even bear their iniquity. Yea, they shall be, <clears throat> they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having charge at the gates of the house, and ministering to the house, they shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people. You notice this is, these are the Levites that have gone far away from him. And they said, they shall minister in my house for the people. He says, excuse me, but I didn't finish it. Okay. And they shall stand before them to minister unto them. Because they ministered unto them before their idols. In other words, back when, when they were worshiping false gods and he and the Levites served the people then. It says, and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore have I lifted up mine hand against them, saith the Lord God, and they shall bear their iniquity. And they shall not come near unto me. You know, there's a, there's a distinction between 
serving the people and serving God in this in this instance. Okay, now Jesus uh, draws those two together when he says that gives the parable in Matthew 20, uh, 25 about I was hungry and you fed me and so forth. And, you know, in as least you did it unto my, my children, you've done it unto me. So there was, there's an aspect of serving God by serving people. But there's a distinction between two elements here. You understand what I'm saying? And it says, and they shall come, they shall not come near unto me to do an office of a priest unto me. You see, see that? The office of a priest unto me nor to come near to any of my holy things. He's talking about coming into, they can, there's an outer court which they can serve in, but not in, the, not in my inner courts, okay? He says, near any of my holy things, in the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. But I will make them... I will make them keepers of the charge of the house for all the service thereof and for all that shall be done therein. But the priest, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, the ones that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. So you see, now he's making the distinction. They still, they're still Levites, but he says sons of Zadok. Now, this is not literal descendants of Zadok. Zadok is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Really, it really is people. Uh, Zadok was an amazing man. He served in an amazing time. There was another, it was during the time of, of King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. He served under all three. He was faithful and loyal high priest under King Saul. And then when David became king, he was faithful and loyal to David as king. Now that was interesting because King Saul was trying to kill David. Okay. And then when Solomon, when it came time for David, uh, he was very old and was dying, and he wanted to, to say who was going to be his uh, you know, in charge after he left, Absalom, well, Absalom was dead, but uh, one of the other sons had uh, uh, a great following for them to become king. And, uh, but he did not want them, any of them to become king. And so uh, he wanted Solomon to succeed him. And so it was, if it hadn't have been in the natural you know, God's will is going to be done. If it hadn't have been in the natural, that's another uh, thing we have, by the way, uh, in, uh, um, to identify with Esther. You know, uh, when Esther was deciding whether or not to go, to, to risk her life by going before the king, to appeal to the king, exerces for her, uh, for the life of their people, of her people, uh, you know, she didn't really want to, when you know what an evil person the king is, you don't really want to go in there and 
take the take the gamble about whether or not you know uh, he's going to extend that scepter to you. Her uncle Mordecai talks to Esther and says, "One of my another one of my favorite verses, Esther four fourteen. He says, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, Esther, God will raise somebody up to be uh, to, to do it." to save the people. He says, but you and your father's house, which was him, he, he was her adopted father. He was actually her uncle, but he was adopted father because her father had passed away. And he says, but you and your father's house, that means you and me, we're dead. And then he goes, but Esther, who knows whether for such a time as these, Thou were born. That's another thing. For such a time as these, you were born. You were created to love God. You were created to be a priest unto God. God made you for that. To love him with all your hearts, mind, body, soul. And part of that loving him is being a priest unto God. And so Zadok here was uh, faithful through three kings, he, uh, like I said, in the natural, God would have done it anyways. But in the natural, uh, if it weren't for Zadok uh, and Naaman, Zadok and Naaman, uh, and Haman, 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 Naaman, somebody else, I know who he is. Uh, Haman, uh, Nathan, Nathan. If it wasn't for Nathan and Zadok, um, Solomon would have never been king. They were the ones that stood with David and said, we agree with David, he's going he's to be king. And so Zadok was an amazing high priest. But he's not talking about literal sons of Zadok there. He's talking about uh, people that have the same heart, spirit, as Zadok. They, a faithful, loyal priest unto God. You see? So that's what he's talking about there. And uh, it says, Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, when sh- uh, they shall come near to me to minister unto me. So he says, the sons of Zadok, the priests of the, of the Levites, that were faithful when the children of Israel were carried away into bondage, the ones that were faithful to me, they, she says, they, uh, they will keep the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from the ones that kept the charge of my sanctuary. They shall come near to me and minister unto me. And just can't kind of count how many times he talks about to me and to mine and so forth. He says, come near to me to minister unto me. They shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord. The, sac- the, sac- the sacrifice that they're talking about unto me. Next verse. They shall enter into my sanctuary. And they shall come near to my table to minister unto 
me, they shall keep my charge. And it shall come to pass when they enter into at the gates in the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments. And he's going to say why in a minute. You know why? Uh, Because linen garments don't, in those particular cases, don't cause you to sweat. You know, they keep you cool. And he wanted it not to be a labor of, of sweat. It was to be a labor of love, that there was no sweat. And that's what that was symbolic of. And no wool shall come upon them, because wool causes you to get real hot. While they minister into the gates of the inner court and within, they shall have linen bonnets upon their heads, and shall have linen breeches, breeches, you know, upon their loins. They shall not, and they shall not gird themselves with anything that causes sweat. Do you see that? It should be a, a, a labor of love that you, doesn't cause you to sweat. You see, they sh- uh, verse nineteen. It says, and when they go forth into the outer court, now they shall go out into the outer court just like the other Levites, to serve the people. It says, even to the outer courts for the people or to the people, they shall put off those garments that they were wearing, wherein they ministered and laid them and laid them on a holy in the holy chambers, and they shall put on other garments, and they shall not sanctify, and they shall not sanctify the people with their garments. In other words, they shall sanctify the people but they shall not do it in the linen garments because it's work. It's work to serve the people, but it shouldn't be work to go into the presence of the Lord. See, And that's what that was talking about. Now go to John, the fourth chapter, starting with verse five. Hallelujah. Do you get the picture here? Now, here again, what was I talking about when we compared to Esther? And you know what she was doing? She was doing a priestly job because she was going to go in there and stand in the gap and appeal for the people, her people. You know, so she was being a priest unto God. Now she had garments, kingly garments on. We have kingly garments on. But we have the kingly garments on because Why? Because of Jesus, right? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We have, he was made sin and knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have robes of righteousness on. And that scepter has been extended to us according to Hebrews, the first, ch- first chapter. And so the scepters have already been extended to us so that we can come in and do it, be priest unto God. But the acceptor has already been extended to us. You were born for such a time as this. We were born to worship God. I love the, the explanation of the word worship in the Old English. It comes from the Old English. The word worship in the Old Testament means to literally, literally prostrate yourself before the Lord. And just humble yourself before God. But in the, in the New Testament and in the, uh, in the Old English, it was two words originally that were 
translated from the Latin and the Greek, and that was worth, which was spelled W-E-O-R-T-H, worth, worth, you know, old English, worth. <laughs> and Skype was the second word, Skype, worth, Skype, which is another way of saying ship, right? And we're not talking about the ship that floats. We're talking about, actually, it was the word shape. And, you know, we get the word ship from it. And so it became one word, worth, Skype, and then worth shape, and then in worth ship. So what does it mean? Worth. It means value. What value is God unto you? That is what is going into the presence of God. And so just as the robes that we wear were not provided for us by a king like Xerxes, but by a king, Jesus, were robes of righteousness, it's the same thing with sons of Zadok. See, if you had to be faithful like Zadok to come into the presence of God, probably be none of us are going to be able to go in there. But you see, I'm going. I'm not going in by my faithfulness. I'm not going in by my loyalty. I'm going in by the loyalty of Jesus Christ. Because he was made sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God. I'm, I have robes of righteousness on, which permits me to come in just as if I was faithful like Zadok was. In other words, I am a son of Zadok because of Jesus Christ, which allows me and permits me to go into the presence of God and worship him. Now, there are other protocols that are involved, but we'll talk about them in a second. It says, then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called. Now, it, it says earlier, it says he, he's leaving Judea to go to Galilee. And technically, uh, Samaria was between Galilee and Judea. But they didn't, Jews didn't usually do that. They try to skirt it and go around, get their supplies before they leave, and then go around Samaria. Because you see, the Jews were pretty, it was a racist bunch of people in those days, you know? And so they would go around Samaria. Why Samaria? Well, Samarian were, were considered to be half Jew, half Gentile. You know? There was a mixture of the races. So the Jews were pretty racist, so they would skirt around. And it says, Jesus says, but he must needs go through, uh, through uh, Samaria. And, you know, he didn't really have to. The shortest way would have been through Samaria, but he didn't go through Samaria because it was the shortest way. He had another need in his life, and that was to be obey the Spirit of God. And it says, and he comes to the city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And you go back in in, uh, Joshua 28, you'll find out that for an inheritance, Jacob gave, uh, inherited uh, to Joseph the land that where, the, where the well was. It says, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, the significance of that is this was an hour that all the other people in the city did not come to draw wet water from. This was something where 
uh, this woman was coming at a different time than anybody else. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. So they went into the city to buy meat. It says, Thus saith the woman of the Samaritan, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink of water? I mean, they were so negatively racist that he wouldn't even, if he was dying of thirst, I'd rather die of thirst than ask you for a drink of water. That's what he's saying. That's what she's saying. Why would you ask me for a drink of water? And it says, uh, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see that? The Jews have no dealings. It's like they'd rather starve before they'd ask somebody for, you know, for a drink. It says, Jesus answered and said unto her, if you knew the gift of God, I, I usually trick people with this question because I, I've tricked so many pastors with this just for just because that's who I am. But I, I frequently ask pastors, I say, what did Jesus say to the woman at the well when he asked her for a drink and says, how is it that you uh, would ask me for a drink? What did Jesus say in response to that? And almost 100% of the time, I say almost, 100% of the time, nobody has ever given the right answer, except for somebody that knew I'd already done this, and so they knew it, okay? But I mean, I've asked a, a, a group of 300 pastors this question. Not a one of them got it right. Because without question, they all say the same thing. It says, uh, if you knew who was asking you for a drink and he talks to about himself in the third person, you would ask him for a drink. Okay? That sounds right, right? Except that's not what he said. He says, if you knew the gift of God. See, that's the first thing he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, give me to drink, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water. So they get the second part, but they always miss that first part. If you knew the gift of God and who it was. Why is that important? Well, you figure it out. The woman saith unto him, Sir, you have nothing to draw uh, water with, and the well is deep. From whence uh, then can you give me living water? And he says, Art thou, uh, art, she continues, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? which gave us this well, and drink thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoso drinketh of this water, from Jacob's well, will thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And this woman says to her, well, sir, give me to drink. Give me this water that I may not thirst, uh, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto him, go call thy husband and to come hither. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, yeah, you have well said you have no husband because you have without no husband. Thank you. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast 
is not thy husband. Now, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mountain, there's a verse of scripture that says, except for the cause of fornication or except because of fornication, you, you know, you don't have any right to get a divorce. Okay. I'm not condemning anybody that has maybe done it for other reasons, but, you know, that's what he says in the Sermon on the Mountain. Then he says this, if you as a man divorce your wife, and all the Jews had to say to a woman was, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, three times, and they were divorced. That's all they had to do. Publicly say that. And he says, you cause her to commit adultery. How does it that a woman, a man causes his wife to commit adultery by divorcing her? Well, it's very simple. Because, see, women didn't own property, unless you were a Proverbs 31 woman. But, but women didn't uh, have those kind of rights. And so they, they were out on the streets. And so it, they looked for the first man to take them in. And so this is what happened to this woman. She, she could just be out on the streets. So she'd go to a man. And when he got tired of her, you know, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. She'd be out on the streets again. And this is why she's going. Now, maybe sometimes they died, you know, and she didn't have anybody else. But in this, and, and more than likely, if she's, one guy's dumping her, used her up, dumped her, used her up, dumped her, can you imagine the rejection that this woman went to? Even if they had died, all five of them had died, it feels a little rejected by God, you know, that whatever their life was. And so, you know, uh, uh, I heard uh, one of the teachers at Elam one time, it was a gal who had been to India, and she was in India, and and uh, she noticed that this girl was watching these kids play, young girl, and she was watching the other kids play and just staring out through the window. And so she asked, why doesn't she go down and play with the kids? She says, well, they won't play with her because she's a widow. She says, what? What do you mean? You, you may be able to confirm this or not. I don't know if these, these are true stories, but she said she was a spouse to a boy that ended up dying. So she's a widow, and because karma has done this to her, then the kids don't, won't play with her. Wow. So even if it's karma, which I'm not saying the Jews believed in karma, I mean, they do believe you reap what you sow, which is kind of a karma, but not the literal definition of karma. And so the rejection that this woman is going through. She's five husbands, and now the guy is not even taking her in as a husband. He's just living with him, just ready to go to the next one. And the people won't have anything to do with her. They've rejected her. That's why she has to go at a different time all alone to draw water from the well, because the other women wouldn't, or other, anybody else that was drawing water at that time knows who she is, wouldn't, have, wouldn't let her draw water with them. So she's not only rejected by five men, and now waiting, just waiting for the next one, she's rejected by the whole community. Right? What a, I don't know, I've, I've, had, I've had some experience with rejection before, 
but nothing compared to this. And it's so interesting that he says, you know, if you give me, give me this drink. And he says, well, where's your husband? I have no husband. He says, that's right, you've had five husbands. In the mo-. And so what's her response? And the woman says to her, I perceive you are a prophet. All right, next verse. Our fathers worship, and she goes, she goes into this, this, this thing that just doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything, and unless it does. And she says this, our fathers worshiped in the mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where a man ought to worship. And notice this, we're talking about not men, men, but just man as mankind. You follow this? Jesus saith unto him, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when ye shall neither be in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem to worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes, and leave this, just leave this one after, the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Do you catch that? The Father, you know, it's like, I've been looking for you. <laughs> so prophetic, I just got prophetic on you. Thus saith the Lord, I've been looking for you. That's what he's, it's, that's what he's, what he's saying there. I've been looking for you. Hallelujah. God's looking. Now, some of you know this story, but uh, when I was at Bethel uh, in Redding, Pennsylvania, I mean Redding, excuse me, California, a lot of people at this conference, 27 countries represented, and... uh, I was sitting over in that corner of this sanctuary, somewhat bigger than this one. Um, and we were on kind of a break. And uh, I was sitting there, and uh, if you don't mind if I demonstrate this. This is the sanctuary, and I'm watching there, and I, a woman comes over and stands up to me, right, stands right there to me, and uh, she says, do you speak English? And I said, yes. And so she says, this man is from Germany. He doesn't speak any English. They had 27 countries represented there. And so he sits down in a chair sideways, and I turn my chair sideways to face him. And so he's sitting there facing me. Big guy, barrel chest, Massive, not not the kind of arms that not the pretty muscle, but the functioning muscle. I mean, this guy, and he says he has a word from the Lord for you. And so we're sitting there facing each other, and he takes my arms. I I, I just demonstrate. If you can see this, he'll he put puts his arms under mine like this, and I put mine on top of his over here like this, and he was holding me. And he's sitting with me. I thought he was going to pick me up. And I hadn't lost 100 and something, 140 pounds at that point. 
You know, he was like, I, he just literally, I thought he was going to lift me up off the chair. And he's speaking German, and the gal's translating for him. And she says, God told him to tell, God says to you, you are my favorite. And I had a, a kind of a mixed reaction. One reaction is I just wanted to bust out crying. And I said, I want to believe that, but I don't. I don't, I don't know if I can believe that. Mainly because this, I always judge scripture with, you know, a, a prophecy with scripture. Anytime somebody gives you a prophecy, it needs to be judged. You need to judge it. If it doesn't uh, fit, then you can put it on the back shelf and wait for it. But it needs confirmation, okay? And so I thought, you know, God's no respecter of persons, so how can I be his favorite, right? How can you be his favorite? And so I wanted to believe that, though. I wanted to believe I was God's favorite. And uh, so that kind of got inside of me and just kept chewing at me and chewing at me in a good way. Well, sometimes in a bad way, because I was fighting with it, fighting with it. So I came back, and uh, there was times when I would spend uh, very close times with the Lord, and I'd be in His holy presence. Now, this is not something that I find it easy to talk about, because Jesus says, go into your closet and pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret, he'll reward you openly. And so I don't like to pray. I, I find it hard to pray in public with people. I find it so much... Di- my, my life with God is so different when I go into my closet. I'm just like, I like to be in... in I don't have a literal closet. It's a, a metaphor you know, for privacy, privacy. I, I just uh, have difficulty, and even talking about it, I find diff- difficulty. But I was had a time when I would go and pray, and literally, like Paul said, when he was talking about himself, and if you don't know that he's talking about himself in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. It was him. He's talking about himself, and I can show you exactly why he's talking about himself sometime. And he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell how men went into the third heaven and heard unlawful things that it was for a man to repeat. He says, whether, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. And there's been times, and I really want to encourage you, there can be times when you're in prayer, and you don't know whether you're in the body or out of the body, and you're in the presence of the Lord. And there's times when I didn't know if I was dreaming or what. But I was in the presence of the Lord. And I said to God, I was talking to God, face to face. That's another thing. Say, I am Moses. Yeah, you're a Moses. Because you will be like Moses was. Except for one thing. He was not permitted to see the face of God. But we are. We are. Why? We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord through the face of Jesus Christ. For the glory of the Lord was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold his glory and we can see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then then you can look at a child's face and see the face of God. You can see the face of God everywhere. So 
I'm in the presence of the Lord, and whether in the body or out of the body, I couldn't tell, and I'm talking to the Lord face to face. And I said, God, am I your favorite? I just wanted to know that because it was just eating at me. And God says, yes, you are. And I just said, what? (laughs) Really? He says, yes, you are. And I was like, wow. How can I be your favorite? You're no respecter of persons. And he says, all my children are my favorites. And I was like, and it didn't bother me that I was not the favorite, although I am the favorite. You are God's favorite. And you know something else? God never stops thinking about me. And you know what kind of thoughts he has? Good thoughts. That's what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. The thoughts that I think toward you are good thoughts. God never, ever, 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 not for one second ever stops thinking about you. You are God's favorite. I ask God, how can this be? You know, one of the things that we, I hope that if anything, with today's technology, how you can Google something, and man, within, before you can even finish, it's got, you know, it'll finish your sentence for you. It's kind of like Rick Walsh. Rick Walsh finishes every sentence you say in front of him. I love it. I just love it. I says, you know, it's like you start a sentence and he'll finish it for you. It's just, you ever notice that, Alan? He finishes every sentence. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And 90, 95% of the time he's right. You know, it's like amazing. It's like I don't even have to talk. I just have to say the first couple of words. And he, he's like, if you ever Google something, you say two words and it's instantly. It's like, whoa. He says, I says, like, how can I, how can I be your favorite and all your other children be your favorites? Because I'm God. <laughs> I can do that. I mean, if Google can do it, you certainly God could. At one time we were thinking, how could that be? So I went out there very high and then the next time I was in the Lord's presence, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, uh, why did you choose me? Why do you think God chose you? Yeah, that's a good answer. That's a pat answer, which can never go wrong. You know, I used to, I used to do chapel over here when we had a school here once a week. And all I, every answer was, when I asked a question, it says, Jesus. <laughs> I said, boy, you can't go wrong when you, <laughs> that's your answer. God loves me. <laughs> yeah, he, he did choose us because he loved but I wanted to be more specific. Why did you choose me? You know? And God says, that's for me to know. <laughs> that's my business. I said, okay, I'll say, I can live with that. Then he says, but, he says, says to me, go back and revisit the woman at the well. To me. Go back and revisit that in the scriptures. And, uh, and I did, and I, I got something, and I'll tell it, tell it what you are to you. 
And then when I, I went back before him and I said, Lord, that didn't exactly tell, tell me why you chose me. He says, exactly. I said, okay, okay. Just accept some things by faith. But I was not totally truthful about this because I got something that I'd never gotten before from John 14 about the woman at the well. And what was it? The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. That word spirit is the uh, Greek word pneuma, you know, pneumatic. Pneuma means air. It's like breath. We, we had a lot of scriptures about breath today. It's, oh, by the way, I just got the second reminder that there are two announcements that are very important to make. Very important. We have a guest speaker tonight at Anchor. Amy, my daughter, and half the crops, uh, crops are over at Word of Faith right now because she's interpreting for a pastor from the Dominican Republic who cannot speak English. So she's interpreting for him. His name is Victor. Don't tell me. Don't tell me my wife's mouthing it. Pena. Pena. Not to be confused with Pena. No, don't confuse that. Pena. That's how I remember it. Pena. You know, Victor Pena, he's going to be at anchor tonight and Amy's interpreting for him. So you don't want to miss that. And we have another thing coming up that is really great. Uh, October 13th, uh, Sunday morning, we're going to have uh, Donna. Shambach. Yeah. R.W. Shambach's daughter. And I've heard Pastor Charlie has told me uh, and, and Pastor uh, uh, Marty Stanton has told me she's like her father. Shambach. R.W. Shambach. You guys got to, if you have not heard him, Google him. Shambach. I used to listen to him every chance I got. I, I never missed a radio show program if I could get him, you know. And boy, he was, he is a dynamite. And we're going to have her in our church on October 13th, Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Donna Shambach. The hour is now cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now here is what I got from this scripture. Is what Jesus is telling the woman at the well. And you're one of them. What do you mean you're one of them? For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And you're one of them. The true worshipers. Why is, why was he, how did he, 
when you, you, you look at her past, you wouldn't think that this gal who has had been rejected by so many venues in so many ways, that she would be one of those that the Father was seeking, a true worshiper. You would not think, well, why did he think she, why do we know that? It's because she asked. She asked the question. You say we worship, you worship in Jerusalem. We say in the mountains, where do we worship God? Why was she asking this question after he says to her, you've had five husbands. And the one you're now living with isn't your husband. Why, why would he say that to her? Why would she say that to him when he says what he said about if you knew the gift of God and you know such? Does that make sense? Except for one thing. When he says to her, I perceive that you are a prophet, she says to him, where do we worship God? Where does a person really worship God? And he says, the hour is coming. <laughs> what he means is the hour is right now. Right now. Right now. The now is that the true worshipers, and you're one of them, gal. God looks at your heart. He sees you. He's the one who's been looking for you. And I saw that, and I... And I, I did see that, and Lord knew I saw it. That's like, God is saying to me to go revisit that because He's saying, Son, you're a true worshiper. Hello? He says, The Father and worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. We are true worshipers because God. We have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, which lives and abides forever. All right, now we're going to go into communion. Who's doing communion today? Oh, Ben, my son, my son. That's what Ben means, son. Yeah, Ben. Benomi and Benjamin, son of? Well, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. I said, in a minute. Okay, he's good. Boy, Kermit is ready to go. All right. We're going to enter into our closet. The way you do that in church, you close your eyes. (laughs) You know, you get private with the Lord. And he can hear your prayers in your mind, but he can, you know, you can also say it out loud. But close your eyes and say, uh, Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Jesus, you died for me. You were made sin with my sin. That I am made in you the righteousness of God. And because I have righteous robes on, kingly garments, 
I can come into your presence. I come in by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I come in because I have a high priest that's interceding on my behalf. I am a son of Zadok. Not because I personally have been faithful. Because in Jesus Christ, I am faithful. I come into your presence humbly, O Father. You are God. You that have made me and not me myself. I am your sheep. I am your property. I belong to you. I come in boldly by the blood. I come in boldly because I have a high priest. I come in to worship you. I praise the name of Jesus. I worship you, Heavenly Father. You are worthy. You're worth to me. You are valuable to me. You are everything to me. You are all I have in heaven, O God. Why should I even desire anything on earth? So I come in to worship you. I love you, Father. I love you, Lord Jesus. Oh, I praise your name. I worship you in spirit and in truth. You are my God. Early will I seek your face. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.